Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to One Patriot Place here on WBLZ Sports, Ironic Radio, and the full press coverage radio network. You're on the air with Stephen Murph. We are One Patriot's Place. And as Murph is always fond of saying, this is the most downloaded podcast on six different planets. Hopefully, Earth will be one of them very soon. So, uh... <laughs> And uh, we have a, actually we have a great podcast for you guys today because momentarily Phil Perry from uh, NBC Sports Boston is going to be joining us. And we're going to be talking about some of the roster battles and, you know, how we're looking at the roster uh, when training camp kicks off and training camp kicks off in just nine days. So that nine, should be nine. I know days. football will be back and. Then they can start, you know, in earnest, knocking on Seven's door, quote a little Bob Dylan. Oh, oh, I like that. I'm stealing that. Oh, I put that in my Sunday notes every week. You know, you know, oh, my God. Knocking on Seven's door, baby. (laughs) Gotta love it. A little Bob Dylan. Hey, you know, the country could use a little Bob Dylan. It sure could, man. (laughs) Couldn't it, though? Can't we all just get along, people? Times they are changing. That's it, man. <laughs> Actually, um, my, my my favorite Bob Dylan song was uh, "Hurricane." So, really, okay, you know. yeah, I, I yeah. can go with that. You know, while we're talking music, happy birthday! Shout out to the one and only Stuart Copeland of the Police. Turned sixty-seven years old today. Stuart making Copeland, us feel old. The, yep, <laughs> making us feel old, man. God damn. God damn. So what's up, brother? Well, oh, you, wait, you know who else's birthday it is? Nope. Neither do I. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> no, that's... Oh, the scotch is flowing early today. <laughs> early. Hey, you We're know, taping uh, the show at 9 o'clock in the morning. 9, 9.30. I, uh, you know, the coffee's in full effect, so we should be, I shouldn't nod off in the middle of things so you won't hear my forehead hit the microphone. As what happens normally when we do it in the afternoon, you know. So uh, the coffee's in there, and I'm sure, like you said, the bottle of scotch has been opened. The yep. smoking lamp is lit. So let's talk some football. I mean, they, they be, drink responsibly, before, people. Yeah, absolutely. I always drink responsibly. I don't stop until the bottle's empty. That way, I don't have an open <laughs> container in the car. There you go. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh man! Uh, anyway, and, anyway, it is before, Barry Sanders' birthday today. Um, that was the it? other birthday that I wanted to shout out. Barry Sanders is fifty-one. Once again, making us feel very old. And, yeah. um, you know what sticks out in my head about Barry Sanders is him spinning Harlan Barnett like a top. <laughs> <laughs> I can't forget he, what year it was. 
Yeah, I think it was, was that like 93 or something? Something Maybe like it was that. Later. It might have been later, but uh, I, I'll always remember that Patriots game where I think he juked like nine members of the defense on the way yeah. into the end. <laughs> no one touched him. Was, yeah, and uh, yeah, exactly. I don't think he, they laid a hand on him. And nope. uh, it was one of the most amazing runs I think I've ever seen. I remember watching that game on television. It was like, how how do you critique your defensive guys when they come off the field? Because nobody can do that. You know, no. it's not like, oh, you know, you missed this assignment or you blew this. I mean, yep. he was he was amazing. He was mm-hmm. just such a great football player. He was so much fun to watch. And it was a shame really the Lions was. couldn't put a team around him during that time mm-hmm. frame. Yep, it, it really was. You, you, out of all the ball players in the history of the NFL, um, to not win a title, I think I, I'm, you know, sorely, you know, he's right at the top of the list. And oh my God, that was that was like a forty-yard run. Him making yep. Barnett, the, the Patriots look <laughs> like that, and he must have. Oh my God. And I think they oh were on God. like the eight yard line, but he ran about forty all on one side of the field. Yep, <laughs> that was such a tremendous play. You know, just back and forth. Oh, oh God, man! I close my eyes and I'm just watching it, and all I can see is 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 Barnett spinning one way, then spinning the other, <laughs> so looking back for his shoes and his jock strap yeah. and everything else. <laughs> Bo- both ankles broken, and uh, you know that's it. I yep. Mean, that's but uh, Barry Sanders was like that. I mean, uh, he was so elusive, and he was such a great football player. And I remember reading once that one year he he had the most runs for ten plus yards, and he also had the most runs for negative yardage. Yeah, because you know, I mean, he could get caught behind the line of scrimmage. It didn't matter. You might catch him. You might catch him. Sanders, what three or four times behind the line. But yeah. then he was just going to absolutely burn you yep. with one of those plays. And that, that play against the Patriots was always – I don't care if it was a touchdown against New England. That was one of my no. favorite plays of all time. It's got to be. It's got to be right up there. Phil, we're bringing in our guest now. Phil A. Perry's here from um, NBC Sports Boston. and he's gonna, We're going to talk a little uh, position battles and whatnot and phil we were just talking it's barry sanders birthday you remember that that run when he he just like are you old enough to remember that run i'm sorry <laughs> i do i do i think he turned poor i think that was otis smith he turned otis smith around like harlan like barnett seven times marlon burnett okay yeah i mean it was like it was that was one that you, you would hope just somehow didn't make it to the film session the next day. Like maybe the film like got fell off the truck or it, it somehow got burned or somebody spilled oh, coffee no. on it. Because Lots of that defensive one is backs just, called in sick that day. Yeah, I mean that that was ugly. Um, Bill, Bill would have had a field day yeah, with it that. Was one. Beautiful at the same time. Yeah. Yep. Oh, it was. That, that, oh, that was. It was just one of those sublime moments that's like, you know. There's just nobody that can do things like that with the football in their hands like Barry Sanders. And that was just one of those moments. Even if you're a Patriot fan, you just have to tip your hat and say, boy, I'm glad I got to see this. <laughs> he was awesome. There's nobody, there was nobody like him. I would say, you know, maybe the closest thing we've gotten to Barry Sanders, and it's still 
it's still, you know, will never be Barry Sanders. But for um, maybe some of your younger listeners out there who did not get a chance to see Barry Sanders other than highlights on YouTube, think of like Dion Lewis on his best day all the time. Like Dion Lewis was small, could, could really make people miss in tight spaces. What made him so Mm -hmm. great. You could hand it off to him and he turned a, a one or two yard loss into a four or five yard gain. He didn't necessarily have the explosive ability that Barry did to get out of those plays and then turn it into like a 40 yard touchdown. Like you didn't see a ton mm-hmm. of that from Dion, but the making people miss catching it out of the backfield, just yep. impossible to tackle in space. Like that, that's what Barry Sanders was for what, 10 years basically before he retired. Mm-hmm. And it, he retired at the top of his game still. He could have played three more years and still been at the top of his game. It was, it was, you know, really, it was a sad day when, when he walked away. And, um, and, and, you know, I just, I'm glad that the Green Bay Packers passed on him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a hell of a draft, man. Aikman was in that draft. Derek Thomas, Deion Sanders. Um, you know, wow. that, that was a great draft, man. Oh man. Trace Armstrong. You know, that was that was a fantastic draft. It really was. And that was a good that was a good year. And of course the Patriots came away with Hartley Dykes. <laughs> <laughs> Still waiting for Hartley Dykes to pan out. That's, That's it, it, man. That's Taylor it. Price is gonna break out anytime. <laughs> <laughs> just gotta be patient, oh, yeah. man. You just gotta be patient and- with these guys sometimes. Yeah, that's it. You know, just good twenty, thirty years. You know, that's all we need. That's all we need. Right. Oh man. Um. So, but as Steve was saying earlier, we're we're just days away from it, bud. We're just days away from 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 camp breaking and and rookies showing up. Um. And we wanted to talk some position battles with you this 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 yeah, go round. Really start getting into it. Where where are the biggest battles? And um, who do you see coming out on top uh, at the tight end position right now? Yeah, I look tight end. I'm looking at tight end first. And, you know, we know there are so many questions there with Gronk gone, with Ben Watson suspended for four games to start the year. Is it Matt Lacoste? Is it Ryan Izzo? What are they doing here? Like, are they going to be able to get by for four games? Are they just going to play a tight end sparingly? Are they just going to go, you know, with uh, with Devlin out there and, and no tight end and a bunch of receivers? Like, how is this going to work? What's it going to look like? And so that's where I've got my eyes. I, I really am. I'm looking at Lacoste and Izzo as the two options that they have uh, to start the year. And then I do think yep. – Ben Watson, as long as he's healthy and, you know, he's in his late thirties now. So no guarantee of that, even if he hasn't played for four weeks, but if he's healthy, I think he's going to play a lot. The question is, can you get by with those other two for a month? And I think you can. I just wonder if they're both going to be incredibly specialized in their role. And if that Mm -hmm. somehow gives away some of what the Patriots are going to be doing offensively. We talk about this with the running back position all the time, which is, okay, yep, uh, James James White is great. Uh, you know, LeGarrette Blunt was great when he was here. Sony Michelle last year, great. Um, yep. You know, everybody, you know, serves their role and, and can be really effective in that role, but you're a little bit predictable when those guys are on the field. James White's out there to catch passes. Sony Michelle is not out there to catch passes. 
Um, LeGarrette Blunt was the same way. Now, maybe that'll change for Sony just his rookie season, and so maybe that's just something he had to, to learn a little bit better going into his second year. But you do become somewhat predictable, and I would I would maybe be a little bit concerned about that with the Lacoste and Izzo split being Izzo yep. is just out there to block, and Lacoste is just out there to catch passes. So training camp will be interesting because we finally have the pads on, which is great. So we can see, you know, Malakos is a big dude. I mean, he's not a he's not a small guy. He's you know he's, no. he's bigger than than Hollister, and so mm-hmm. can he move people in the running game? And if he can, then I think he could have a real significant role early on. Can Ryan Izzo catch a little bit? We didn't see a ton of that in the spring. We saw some of it during training camp last year. So I I know he has the ability there. Um, the question is, can he string together a bunch of practices that, that look competent as a receiver, and will the coaching staff uh, trust him in that sort of role? So so that those two guys will be guys that we're watching very closely. How will we see James Devlin work into, into this situation? And I think that's such an important position in their offense. Now, Murph, and obviously Devlin's been around for a long time, and, and, he's, and he's been a significant contributor whenever he's been healthy. Um, but really last year where they relied so heavily on the I formation and Devlin leading Sony Michelle to daylight, you know, I think that helped yep. Sony Michelle a lot, not just because of the, the blocking aspect, but just showing him where to go, showing him which holes he was supposed to be hitting. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it gets a lot easier when you can just say, all right, just follow James Devlin's big old ass through that hole and keep moving your feet. <laughs> as opposed to being back there by yourself and saying, okay, which hole am I going to pick this time? What do I have to, what am I supposed to be reading here? What's the front? Is it an over front? Is it an under front? What are the linebackers? You know, so um, it's, it's just such an important, important part of what they do that I think he could end up playing a lot. And it's, it's sort of why I, I look at Andrew Beck, who's the, the undrafted rookie out of Texas. Wow. Who was drafted as a tight end. Uh-huh. And I, I look at him as a fullback. That's that's where he was throughout the spring. Okay. And I would expect to see more of the same during training camp. And I look at that guy as somebody who's really, I think, going to have a shot at a roster spot if if he can show that he can play on special teams and if he can be relatively competent in the running game. If he can be a, a serviceable backup to your fullback, and it sounds crazy. There's only like five teams in the league that use a fullback regularly anyway. But if he's that important to your offense, I mean, imagine James Devlin, you know, God forbid, but what happened to Jeremy Hill week one, you know, first half week one, James Devlin goes down. Like, that's a significant chunk of your playbook. Now, you know, at least what you want to do out of your playbook, out the window. So I like the the idea of having another guy there again he's going to have to play special teams first and foremost so we'll see if he can do that but to have right. somebody else back there in that role I think would be really valuable yeah and two players that that you know circling it back to my question that that can also line up on the end of the line and um and work is that blocking tight end yeah would sure be, I um, mean the, the, those fullbacks those fullbacks are meeting every single day with the tight ends and so anytime you yep. see us at NBC Sports do any kind of roster projection or positional preview. When we're talking tight ends, we're always talking fullbacks. And fullbacks often get lumped in with the backs, and I get that. But they're they're really, I would say, closer to, to a tight end in terms of their role 
um, block, you know, blocking in the running game, occasionally catching passes. I know they line up in the backfield more often than not. You hardly ever see James Devlin on the line of scrimmage, but he could do it because he's in he those tight it. end meeting rooms every single day. Well, Phil, um, that, that's a great point because um, did the fullback share time? Do you know if they share time between the running back room like meetings and the tight end room? They'll be in the running back room as well, Steve. But from what I understand, they are, they are really um, more tight ends than, than backs. If the tight ends and backs happen to be meeting at the same time, uh, again, this is from what I gather, and it might depend on the week, honestly. But you know, they they, they may get right. word from somebody saying, "Hey, you're you're uh, you know you're with the backs, you're with Ivan uh, in the running back room this week." But those guys are are meeting with the tight ends every single day. Uh, you know, occasionally they'll even have, again, this gets back to that. It could change depending on the week. Um, they've had tackles in there with the tight ends because they'll bring those tackles in as as jumbo tight ends at times. And those guys will get, you know, somebody like Cameron Fleming was, um, you know, occasionally sitting in there with the tight ends. So that, that's that's my understanding of it is um, it's, it's an everyday thing. He'll be in there. James Devlin will be in there. Andrew Beck will be in there with uh nick cayley who's the who's the tight ends coach that's a great point and uh something uh, honestly i haven't hadn't considered in the past but keeping in line with the uh running backs i wanted to ask you about damian harris i mean i watched a lot of alabama football and uh you know this is a guy that has, has always played in a running back by committee he he backed up some you know some really good running backs that are now in the NFL as well. Now he is, but I mean, I, when I looked at him, he's a tremendous pass blocker. He's a good uh, runner between the tackles. And I think he's underrated as a pass receiver. He has really soft hands. Now they didn't use him a ton in the passing game, but you know, whenever his number was called, um, I thought he, he did it really well. Do you see him carving out a role as kind of like, one of those slash runner pass receiver kind of guy. Yeah, I think it would be, it would be totally welcome if he could do that, Steve. I think that's, that's what they're hoping Sony Michelle can be, be that again, we're talking about, you know, talking about the tight ends. You'd love to have, you know, one body there that can do everything. Um, it, it was sort of, honestly, it was what Dion Lewis uh, did for them. And I didn't expect to be mentioning Dion Lewis's name more than once on this podcast day, but here we are. <laughs> but that's what, that's, that's part of what, what made him special was he was a true right. all purpose back. I would put Danny Woodhead in that, in that um, category as well. Like you could give the ball to those guys between the tackles, but they were excellent receivers. And if Harris can do that, and you're right, they did not use him that way a ton at Alabama, but he certainly is capable of it. If he can do it, all the power to him, and I would say, you know, if he can do that, then even if Sony Michelle is healthy, then there's a path to to him overtaking Michelle because it is so valuable to be to be able to do both those things. It just puts a little extra thought in the minds of the defenders that you're going against. Okay, we have to treat him like a receiver, but he could also just run us over if they hand it to him in between the tackles. So um, I I think the Patriots would totally welcome that. I I'm a little bit hesitant to predict that that's what will happen even though he has that skill set because I think it's just really hard for running backs to pick up everything that they're be, they're supposed to be able to pick up 
as rookies. And I think we saw that last year from Sony Michelle. I mean, the passing game was, was just not his thing. And they tried it a little bit early on. I remember Jacksonville. I remember Detroit. Uh, before he got hurt in Chicago, they, you know, they were, they tried and it just did not work. And so is that something that he's going to be able to do now that he has had a full year to look at the playbook and understand things? Maybe I wouldn't be shocked if they, if they tried to get him involved in that way a little bit more. Um, And I would think Harris is going to be facing a similarly steep learning curve. So if he can do it right away, great, but it might be something we don't see until year two. And I think that would be fine too. If he can, if he can be a dependable runner, uh, uh, a guy who is dead set on, on being that ball security type of back that Bill Belichick loves so much, he, he's going to get time. I mean, even if Sony Michelle doesn't get hurt, I would think the Patriots are going to want to try to get him the occasional breather, the regular breather. And, right. and so that's going to mean some time for Damian Harris. I agree. And and I think they see Harris more as a Rex Burkhead type more so than, than Sony. I, I don't believe it was a hands issue with Sony. I, I, I do believe it was, it was trying to consume and, and, and know this playbook. And, and like you said, it, it's so difficult for anybody to come in here and be depended on in that way. Um, so soon everybody else that's come along, like, you know, once again, we'll bring up Deion Lewis. That's three. Everybody drink. Um, <laughs> he, he, the, these guys all had a, um, an understudy role before they were they were thrust into it and Sony didn't have that that chance. So we'll see what what's happening with that as 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 camp goes along. I'm right on that same page with you. The the biggest question for me right now is what's what's happening at the left tackle position, bud. Um how do you see this shaking out? Isaiah Wynn is somebody that, that we all loved when he was drafted. But coming off of an injury like this, how do you see things shaking out on the left side? To me, watching Isaiah Wynn in the spring was one of the bigger surprises um, that I took away from from OTAs and minicamp. And he obviously didn't participate in team drills. You know, we we all were reporting that as we were seeing it play out. Uh, but if you watched closely, you watched those drills with Scar and the rest of the offensive line, which I love to do when we have the opportunity. Typically, they are about 600 yards away from the media tent. Uh, and you can still hear Scar cursing up a storm. You just can't see all that much. <laughs> but I love I love watching those drills when you can see them. And so watched as much as I could. And Isaiah went to me, looked like a guy who was moving without restriction. Um, he was participating regularly in the individual drills, whether, you know, they were blocking, um, you know, teammates holding pads or they were pushing sleds or they were just working on their footwork. He was heavily involved in all of that stuff and he looked fine. He looked good. Um, I would say he was moving well. Now, does that mean he's going to be ready to go as soon as training camp starts? I don't know. I would think they're going to try to work him along slowly. But I think there should be some optimism there that he's going to be healthy enough to play when they need him to play. And right now, guys, they need him to play. And and that yeah. I would say, if you're a Patriots fan, um, you know you can look at that one of two ways: the 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 pessimistic view, and you know if you're a New England person, I understand you just kind of naturally leaning that way. I certainly do. Um, the pessimistic view would be. <laughs> 
How are Almost we going to over the age of twenty five? Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, like, it's totally understandable if you're looking at it saying, "How are we going to depend on this guy to be protecting Tom Brady's blind side?" A, he's he's never played in the NFL essentially outside of a few preseason snaps. And B, he's coming off an Achilles injury, which can be devastating right. for guys, never mind 300-plus-pound athletes that, that have to be able to mirror 250-pound, uh, you know, small forwards with, like, way too much muscle that are some of the freakiest people on the Perfect. planet and outside linebackers yep. and defensive ends. So, like, that doesn't sound like a recipe for success uh, no. if you're just looking at it objectively. However, if you look at the Patriots, who are, I would say, and I'm not sure there's an argument, the the most prepared and the best prepared franchise in the NFL, if not all of sports in in many cases, they don't go out and they don't spend significant resources on a left tackle. They wait until the middle of the draft to go get Yadni Kajust from West exactly. Virginia, who might be Thank a right you. tackle, might be a left tackle, but he's hurt too, and you don't know if he can play. So I look at that position, I say, well, there's really no answer. And so the only answer in some ways is Isaiah Wynn. Maybe it's Joe Tooney. I, you know, like if it's an emergency, I could see that happening. And they, they use Ted Karras, uh, they use Brian Schwenke. You know, I think they like those guys as, as veteran guards who aren't going to totally screw it up. And Joe Tooney's a good athlete and a, and a really – smart player and I think they could probably get by but I look at the investment or lack thereof at the tackle spot this offseason and I say they must be feeling pretty good about Isaiah Wynn's chances of playing Mm -hmm. because if they didn't they would be setting themselves up for a really difficult year at that position is this why Bill looks towards the middle of of the middle rounds of the draft for those those guys that he can move along the line yeah, I think anytime you have guys that have played multiple positions on the offensive line, it tells you one thing right away, as long as they're you know relatively successful. Uh, it tells you one thing right away, which is that they're smart. And the scouting process is, while on some fronts very complicated and multifaceted and incredibly involved, on some others, you listen to Dante Skarniecki here uh, talk about what he wants in an offensive lineman, and he's the guy going to work these guys out before the draft. You know, right. the scouts do their thing, and, and they're a big part of it. But Dante's going to have significant say in this whole deal, and he wants smart. That's number one. He wants smart. He wants tough, and he wants athletic enough is what he calls it. You can't be a total enough. dud out there. You, you have to have some ability to move, but you don't have to be, you know, Anthony Munoz or Orlando Pace or, you know, Tyron Smith or, you know, yep. any of these Jason Peters at his height, you don't have to be those guys. You have to be smart, tough, and athletic enough. And if you've played multiple positions successfully and you've, you've been, you know, maybe a multi-year starter, um, you've got the smart thing down. And so, you know, could you still see, I think he's got plenty of intriguing physical gifts, like a very talented basketball player back in the day and, He's going to have great feet, and again, he's dealing with injury, so we'll see if we actually see him early in camp or not. But somebody like Joe Tooney is the perfect example. Played all over the line. They were going to have him at center. Then they bump him out to tackle. He plays guard. He hasn't missed a snap in forever. So that guy is like the definition of what they want. Smart, tough, athletic enough. And uh, it's unfortunate because I don't know if they're going to be able to keep him after this year. I'm, I'm sure they would love to. 
but they just paid Shaq Mason, and Tooney might be out the door because I'm sure he's going to be looking for some good money Tooney. too. Um, he is, and he's going to get uh, it. But yeah, I, but win, but wins right there too. I mean, if, if he can come back from from injury, he's played multiple positions. He could do it at the NFL level. He's a smart guy. He's a leader. He's tough. He was, you know, he was certainly athletic coming out of the draft. We'll see how athletic he is coming off this injury. That's it. That is perfect analogy. Athletic enough. There was a reason that my <laughs> high school coach said no. Just put him in the middle and let him snap the ball. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> He's athletic enough. I mean, you know, is he is he going to be a decathlete anytime soon? Maybe not, but he's he's athletic enough. We get by. There you go. Speaking of win, uh, Phil, you know that was one of the things that stood out to me during minicamp was, uh, as as you mentioned, usually the offensive linemen are as far away from where everyone sits as humanly possible without being behind the hedges back there, and we got to see the the. Uh, uh, the offensive linemen there up close and personal and watching win in the individual drills, he looked like he was moving without any kind of, you know, limitation whatsoever. So that, that has to be, you know, a good sign for them moving forward with camp just eight days away or nine days away. And then, uh, you know, with Kajus, he was a guy watching him at West Virginia you know, what the Patriots like to do is throw the football, and he, I think he's a tremendous pass blocker. But, again, you know, he had that offseason, it was a quad surgery. So, you know, have you heard anything in regards to him as if he's going to be ready or not to go? No, I haven't heard anything specifically. You know, what I've heard is things are, are going the way they're supposed to go, which is, what you would expect, um, you know, that's the old, uh, you know, you get the, uh, the yeah. press release occasionally. So-and-so had successful surgery. Well, thank God. Like, if, you know, I, I would hope so. Like, you know, if, he, if there were, if there were complications or whatever, you certainly would never hear about that. But um, I don't, I don't know if he's going to be ready to go and like ready to contribute really soon. Like a, a lot of times what they do with these guys coming back from injury, you guys know this, you see them on that lower field. Okay, you know they'll maybe warm up with the with the team. Then they'll go down to the lower field and they'll just get their conditioning right. And it's not until sometimes a week or two after they've been down there, even if they're pretty healthy, that they're allowed to get up and actually put the pads on and run around. It's just I think they feel like it's asking a lot of these guys if they've sat out for any extended period of time, if they've missed the spring workouts, that all of a sudden now. You're going to go through a couple of practices, shorts and T-shirts. That's that's how they get things started. But then right after that, they're they're into the pads, and they're in the pads multiple days. Like, it's just a shock to the system, or it can be. And it will be for everyone, don't get me wrong. But especially if you've been out for any length of time, I think they feel like it's it's asking a lot. So I wouldn't be shocked if he, if he wasn't out there to start. Um, but – you know, we'll see. I don't, he certainly hasn't been ruled out in terms of like being able to start the season or anything like that. So, so we'll see on Kajust. I think um, you could be looking at a scenario where you really only have a couple true tackles by trade on the roster to start the season. That would be kind of interesting to me. And maybe you carry an yep. extra guard. Maybe you carry, you know, Schwenke and Karras and Froholt. Like you know, that I think. Two of those guys, we can safely say, are going to make the team, and Froholt's going to be one of them, I would think, um, yeah. as a fourth-round pick. 
but you know you don't know which which two out of those three are are going to have roster spots. But maybe if Kajust isn't really ready, then you do see um, an extra interior guy. That's that's kind of how I could foresee the shuffling going. Exactly, and that that you you just segued right into my follow up question was if if in fact Kajust or you know Win isn't completely ready, could we see? another uh, guard make the roster because they do have some guys with versatility that like Joe Tooney that can move just about anywhere. I like Froholtz. I, I like the pick of him. Um, you know, he seems like uh, they, you know, he could be a guy that they could plug in as a starter and m- maybe next year. So, um, you know, I, and as when we talk the offensive line, you know, I know there's times where we say, well, there's some concern there, but I never really worry about the offensive line as long as Dante Skarnecki is out there. He always seems to find a way, and he always seems to figure it out as the season goes on. Yeah, that's the other reason that, you know, again, if you're if you're taking that optimistic view, you should feel good about what's going to happen at left tackle, which is, well, Dante's there, and he'll figure it out. He turned Trent <laughs> Brown into the highest-paid left tackle in league history. Like he'll, he'll they'll be fine. Um, right. So yeah, last year at this time, you, you remember last year at this time, the, the question was, can Trent Brown be a left tackle? <laughs> right. Totally. Well, we didn't even know if he was going to win this. You know, we thought Isaiah this, Wynn might have a shot at winning the starting job. Now it became yeah. pretty apparent after just a few training camp practices, because you do see who's out there first, you know, who's matched up with whom on, on those one-on-one mm-hmm. drills. And so you see enough of, you know, Trey Flowers on Trent Brown or Dante Hightower on Trent Brown. I mean, Trent Brown in the huddle with Tom Brady. You start to put two and two together and you say, wow, they really feel like this guy could be a starting left tackle. And of course he was, and he was great. And it didn't always go the way that Scar wanted it to go. They were both very open I uh, wrote, you know, extensively about um, Brown during Super Bowl week, and Scar was was pretty honest as he always is in saying there were some things that happened early in the year with Trent that were unacceptable in terms of practice and practice habits, and um, and Just and Brown habits. essentially agreed with him and said, yeah, I mean, it was it was not a great start in terms of. Um, you know, like our relationship, because, you know, Scar, Scar takes things, you know, I, yeah. I don't want to say personally, but he takes things seriously for sure yeah. uh, from day one of camp. And so you better be ready to go. And it sounds like Trent Brown really wasn't. And they, they got that solved, obviously. So I, I think whatever happens at that spot, they'll get it solved too. And whether it, even if it's stick Joe Tooney out there, stick Isaiah Wynn out there, even if they had to stick Kajust out there, I think what they would probably end up doing is you'd end up just seeing even more of that quick passing game. You'd just see them run away, you know, run to the right side behind Mason and Cannon, which is always a good idea. Like they, right. they would find a way to, to, to minimize whatever negative impact that spot could make. And they, and they would, and they would, I'm sure still be a productive offense. Phil, Great let's, stuff, let's flip Phil. it over. Yeah, let's flip it over to the other side of the ball. And uh, last year, Steve mentioned it. Last year at this time, we were all worried about the linebacking core, and it seemed and and what a difference a year will make. Right now, we're looking at at a deeper part of this uh, 
Patriots roster. How do you see things shaking out at the linebacker spot? I think it's going to be really interesting that whole front seven, and I'm I'm just like I'm very excited to see. I'm excited every year, guys. I love training camp. Yeah. I love being able to watch these full practices. I love it when they are finally able to put the pads on for the first time and you see goal line drills and things like that. I think you really get a chance to see guys stand out because that's that's the closest thing you'll get to, to real football in a lot of cases after you know hours and hours of spring workouts and even hours of some of these training camp practices. It, it sometimes comes down to a handful of full effort, competitive, in pads snaps yep. and and those are the most valuable those you get more out of those few snaps than you might out of three or four spring practices um so i'm always excited for that but i'm really excited this year to see what the front seven looks like because and we already saw some of it in the spring but again no pads it looks to me based on a based off of personnel and based off of some of the the alignments we saw in the spring that they're going to be more of a three four team this year They've been a 4-3 team really ever since Matt Patricia took over the defense, yeah. uh, you know, seven or eight years ago. Um, you know, Bill was always a 3-4 guy. That was that was his defense. He loved that defense. That was a different era, though. And so 4-3, you know, Bill, from what I understand, kind of let Patricia have that. He, he, he wanted to be more 4-3. They liked the fit there with the personnel they had, and that's what they rolled with. Now, it's 2019. I understand that. Teams are rarely using a a quote unquote front seven anyway. It's usually yeah. a front six or a front five because you have so many DBs on the field. But you still have some of those looks of okay, this guy is a real. We've got a we've got a nose tackle out there and two true five techniques. And the linebackers might be a little bit mangled depending on how many defensive backs we have out there, but. It, I think it's going to look more like a 3-4. I think you, you've got a couple guys in Pennell and Shelton that are true nose tackles, line them up right over the center, let them eat up as much yep. space as they can. I think you've got a bunch of these five-technique, 3-4 defensive ends. I mean, that's really what Lawrence Guy should be. I mean, you can move him all over the line. It's part of what makes him so valuable, but that's his body type. I mean, he's more of a Ty Warren body type than he is – you know, a Malcolm Brown or, or, you know, a oh, true yeah. defensive tackle. I mean, you've got that like six five, six four, six five, three hundred pounds, strong as an ox, long arms. Like, yep. That's Lawrence Guy. Dietrich Wise, I think, is better as probably a five technique as somebody who can play inside and out. He's not a real edge burner the way Chandler Jones was. Like he's, you, you can play him inside and let him use that length. And he's a he's a heavy guy too. Uh, you know, he's right around two seventy or so. So they have they have the personnel to be able to play that front, and it looks like they've just built upon that. I look at somebody like Chase Winovich. We looked at him when he was drafted. He said, oh, a little bit undersized maybe to play defensive end. Well, he might not be a defensive end here. I think he's going to be an outside right. linebacker. I think he's going to be a 3-4 edge player, and they're going to let him get up the field. And, yeah, he's going to have to set an edge occasionally. He's going to have to be able to play the run but they're going to let him use his flexibility, use his speed, his athleticism off the edge, and he's going to be more of an outside linebacker. You're going to That's see Dante exactly Hightower, Kyle Van Noy in those roles. So, I like, they're going to move back and forth. We know that. Like, they'll probably have plenty of looks that look like 4-3, but I think there there is a change happening here, and I see it in the personnel, and we've seen it in the alignment somewhat this spring. I think we'll see more of it 
this summer when the pads come on, and it just makes all of those groupings up front on the line and in that linebacker group a little bit different. I think it'll open up some more jobs, honestly, for linebackers. If Dante Hightower is going to be playing on the edge more, outside more, Kyle Van Noy might be playing a little bit outside more. I think, you know, Alandon Roberts, like he makes sense to me as a three four linebacker who can take on guards. We've seen him we've seen him flatten plenty of offensive linemen over the course of his career. He wants to play the run. He wants to get downhill. Jamie Collins is a little bit of a different animal. He felt like more Thank of a you. four three player because he was good in space, but I think he's gonna be a real specialist for them. I, you know, the last yeah. for me on the linebackers. But it's just like I you know, he looks like because he is still so athletic and because the Patriots have had issues, as great as their defense was last year, they had issues in the past game covering tight ends, and they had issues covering backs out of the backfield. And I think Jamie Collins, I don't know which he will do, but I think between him and Patrick Chung, if you have those guys on the field on third down, you feel a little bit better about some of those matchups than maybe you have in years past. Yeah, that's exactly my next question was how is Jamie Collins going to fit into this if, if that's the scheme we're going? Perfect answer. Perfect answer. Let, let, let's skip back into the in, into the deep backfield, and let, let, let's talk about <clears throat> what I think is the deepest, um, most talented group of defensive backs in the NFL. Um, how do you Man, think I things just, are going to? Yeah. I, 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 you look at the depth chart, and, and it's it's okay. I see two strict cornerbacks, and everybody else who could play anywhere on the field that Bill wants to use them. <laughs> It's really it's such a luxury I think for Belichick to have these guys that he has a because they're so accomplished and because they're they're known commodities you know what they're going to give you um they're just so smart and they can adjust on the fly. And so if you want to do something like what you did in the Super Bowl last year and you want to say hey this team just assumes we're going to play man and that's our best bet usually but maybe we can screw them up by playing some zone. Like, that's that's no issue. Like, Patrick Chung, Devin McCourty, Jason McCourty, Stephen Gilmore, you know, like, those guys in a pinch can do whatever you want them to do. And, again, I believe they're, they're still going to be a man-to-man defense. Like, there's just no way they shouldn't be playing man-to-man more often than not. That's what Stephen Gilmore does best. It's what Patrick Chung does best. Uh, it's probably what J.C. Jackson does best at this point in his career. And so just roll with that. Just do what you do. Even if the other team knows it, it doesn't matter. Like, that's your best bet to, to stop opposing offenses. So they're, that's what they're going to do. But they, they're so smart back there. It, there's so many years of experience. And I wrote about this last year, and just we're just now tacking another year onto it. But between the McCordy's Chung, you know, the, like – those three guys right there are all double digits in terms of years in the league now at this point. Right. Harmon is a veteran guy who obviously knows what he's doing out there. Gilmore, same way. So you have some younger players, sure. Like, you know, J.C. Jackson, second year, let's see what he can do. Like, he came on really strong last year and gives you so much depth. I think he has a real good chance of being your week one starting corner opposite Stephen Gilmore. That's really what he was yep. towards the end of last year. He didn't play a ton of the Super Bowl because they were playing a lot of zone. And I think if it was more of a, that's your guy, go get him, JC, I think he would have been out yep. there a lot more. Um, and, you know, Jonathan Jones in the slot, I think is a, is a great fit. 
Um, Duke Dawson is somebody who, if if Jonathan Jones for whatever reason, uh, you know, gets cold or for you know doesn't continue to grow at that position, is somebody who's going to be right there. And I know the Patriots are hoping he's right there and and giving him a run for his money as a starting slot guy. Um, so there's so much depth here. I think it's a real strength of their team. I think the only question is, and it's only because it's such a veteran group, none of these guys really have durability concerns. Patrick Chung, I'm sure, has played with a million injuries, but I think he's one of the toughest guys yeah. we've seen he here in recent memory. Right up there with Dante but Hightower. That be, totally. That, but that would be my one concern, guys, would be like, can they stay healthy just because, mm-hmm. you know, some of your most important guys are, are up there in age? But after that, I mean – I don't I don't see why you wouldn't be completely happy with how this group has has come together over the course of the last couple of years because it's coverage is just so damn important in 2019 in the NFL and I think you have an argument as the as the Patriots have an argument and as having the most complete secondary in the NFL. There are others that that may have more talent, but position to position you look at it, and we haven't even talked about the second-round pick they made this year. I mean, that Jawan Williams, like, he may not have to play. Like, you know what I mean? He may not. I'm yep. sure he'll have a role, but they they could redshirt the guy. a really, really good secondary. That's how good they are. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I was just getting ready to segue into. Once again, <laughs> Phil, you were reading my mind. I wanted to talk about Jawan Williams because, uh, you know, the Patriots put a second-round draft choice on him. He's a really big guy, and I know a lot Huge. of people were comparing him to, you know, Brandon Browner. But after you see him on the field, um, I can't wait to see him with pads on because he does kind of look a little bit like that Brandon Browner body type. And you know, <clears throat> because they have so many talented guys, you know, could you see him being used maybe, um, you know, for the bigger wide receiver matchups or even tight ends, which, you know, you mentioned they had some issues covering tight ends. I mean, he's a big guy. Could you see him, uh, you know, possibly being used in that role? Totally. Bill Belichick will will tell you outright, you know, depending on the week who they're playing, that, you know, a lot of these tight ends are essentially big receivers these days. You don't really have to worry about them creating space in the running game. And so if you want to put a corner on him, a big corner especially, go ahead and do it. You know, somebody like, um, yeah, I remember Obi Melifondu on Kyle Rudolph doing a decent job last year. And Kyle Rudolph is actually the guy who will play in the running game and, and move some people. And Obi Melifondu, you know, I don't think anybody's going to mistake him for, for Rodney Harrison or for Patrick Chung anytime soon in terms of his run-stuffing ability. But they felt fine putting him on Kyle Rudolph uh, because yep. of the receiving ability that he had and the in the size uh, that you can match up with by running out an unusually large human being at safety or anywhere in your defensive backfield on these guys. So a ton of value in Juwan Williams potentially being that tight end matchup guy. I just think, guys, when you play as much man as the Patriots do, you need every shape and size in your secondary, whether it's your secondary or your your linebacker core, however you want to match it up, you need every shape and size from your coverage players to match up with whatever it is you're going to be seeing that week. Because not every week is the same. Not every opposing offense that you face during the year is is created equal. There are not always going to be, um, you know, a a true X who's between 6'2 and 6'5", 
uh, a slot receiver who is between 5'9 and, and 6 feet, and a Z who is right around 6 feet and can go in motion and might take a, you know, a reverse every so often, and a tight end yep. who can catch. Not every team is going to be cookie cutter like that. So you're going to need weeks occasionally where you have Juwan Williams out there covering the tight end because it's not a good matchup for Jamie Collins or it's not a good matchup for Patrick Chung because the tight end is so damn tall, or you're going to need Juwan Williams on the X because the X is, um, say it's, you know, they're not playing AJ. They are are playing AJ green this year. They got the AC North this year. Yeah. They got the AC North this year. So say it's AJ green and say, Hey, we just want to double AJ green and we're going to put Juwan Williams on him because height wise, that makes the most sense to us. We'll put Stephon Gilmore on Tyler Boyd, who's their second-best receiver. He'll lock him down no problem. And now all of a sudden, Andy Dalton's going to look even worse than he usually does. Like, I think that's, that's kind of the, the, the thinking that's going to go into this. And then there'll be, you know, the, the week after that, if they're playing a team that doesn't have an obvious matchup for Jawan Williams and you just feel better about having uh, Stephon Gilmore cover Devontae Parker or whoever it is that's the, that's the outside guy the next week, then – he might not be active. Like I could see that even happening. So it's all going to depend on the matchups because they're such a man to man team that I think you, you could see some really different personnel week to week. And I think it's going to be one of the things that's going to make following this team really fascinating. Yeah. The AFC North this year, just another, you know, case of tomato cans, right? The AFC North <laughs> again, Jesus Christ. Driving Again, me insane. It's like, how do they do? They play the Ravens every year. It, just, it feels that way. I know. It's, I think it's been a little while, but yeah, it just feels that way. It just feels that way. Just feels that way. Well, I, I, I can't, you know, not bring up what I feel is is the biggest battle in this camp. The one that you know everybody is just dying to talk about, and and you know, yeah, I'm going to be yeah. fixated on it, and that's the punter. Okay, we went out and we drafted Jake Bailey. Uh, is Ryan Allen on his way out? Uh, gun to my head. If, I know you wouldn't do that to me, Murph, uh, but uh, if you were, I would say yes. Uh, I just feel like the reason you spend a fifth-round pick on a punter, uh, you trade it up, actually, to spend a fifth-round yeah. pick on a punter. I, don't, I wouldn't look into that too, you know, too strongly because, I mean, they did pass on the kid, you know, however many times before they got to him. So it's not like he was one of their top, you know, eight or nine targets in the draft. But they they obviously have been looking for a couple of years now to bring in at least some competition for Ryan Allen. And there yep. were indications that they wanted to keep Corey Borges last year, whether that meant cutting ties with Allen or not, we don't know. It never came to fruition, so we'll never know. But I think if you're looking at it and Jake Bailey gives you some consistency back there, that there would be a a reasonable chance that Ryan Allen is no longer with the Patriots, which in some ways to me, guys, is a little sad. I mean, the guy had the game of his life in the Super Bowl. You win 13-3. He was the MVP of the Super Bowl. He was a tremendous I, I, honestly, Murph, I think you could make a legit. The punter's never going to get it in the Super Bowl. No, of course not. If ever not. there was a time to make that argument, uh-huh. it might have been last year. And if Julian Edelman, you know, only makes you know uh, six catches for eighty-nine yards, like maybe mm-hmm. he gets it. Yeah, I, you know. Yeah. Um, it's it's 
it was that good a performance, and he did it against Johnny Hecker, who was widely considered the best punter in the league and was also yep. the guy who beat him out for a spot on his college team and forced him to transfer. Uh, mm. And obviously things have worked out just fine for Ryan Allen. But great, great performance. I thought he had a great year last year. I have criticized Ryan Allen in the past uh, because he has not been as consistent as needed at times. He just he right. has not had the leg that they've liked to have uh, had at times, but last year he was great. I mean, the number of mm. coffin corner punts, you know, Matthew Slater downing it inside the 10, um, you know, that was, that was a consistent presence for the special teams group Dozens. last year. And I just think that it, it's probably coming to an end because Bailey has the bigger leg. Uh, Bailey has the ability guys, which I think has some value as well to kick off. I think if you want to save yep. Steven Guskowski, like Adam Vinatieri, and I wrote about this um, in the spring because I asked Guskowski how he felt about kicking off versus field goals and would he like to take a break. He wants to do it, and I understand mm-hmm. that. He's a competitive guy. He's been really good at kickoffs in the past, but the Patriots were terrible. They were last in the league in terms of opponent starting field position Yeah. after kickoff last year. Anytime I mean, you're has... 32nd in the league in anything, you're going to be right. looking to make changes. So That's I think it. Bailey's going to be on the roster. The question is, does he take Ryan Allen's spot? Does he? Uh, is he? Do you have room for a backup punter and a kickoff specialist? I don't think so. So no. big legs guy. The other one last thing that I think is is interesting, guys, about this is if the Patriots truly are changing in terms of what they are offensively. And if mm-hmm. they truly are going to be willing to take the ball out of Brady's hands to try to keep him upright for when the games matter most, and you can have games like you had in the AFC title game where at the end of the game Brady's making play after play after play for you. If you want to do that and you want to become more of a run-heavy team, time-of-possession mm-hmm. team, you might be looking occasionally at some longer fields and some and some drives that end on your own – 42 instead of, you know, the, the you're, plus you're, 40. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, like, you're, where you're just out of field goal range. The Patriots have been such a good offense of late. They don't, A, they don't punt much. But, B, when they do, it's usually Ryan Allen's been a great option because you haven't needed the big leg. You don't need right. Thomas Morstead to kick the thing 60 yards. If right. You're changing They're punting what you from are the 50. Offense, Exactly. You know, if you're changing what you are as an offense and you're willing to plow it into the line a few more times and, and live and die that way because it's going to keep Brady healthier and because you feel like that's your identity as an offense, you right. may have some so, drives that, that end deeper in your own territory, and you might need that big leg to, to cover that ground in the punt game. So I wonder if that's part of their thinking, too, bringing Bailey in, because he, he's certainly going to be able to, to pick up more ground that way than Ryan Allen will. The question is, can he be consistent in the plus 50 game the way Allen was last year? I doubt it, but that's going to be the the, the balance that you're going to have to strike if you're Bill Belichick. What's most valuable to us right now? And I think that I would not be surprised if, if they went with Bailey instead of Allen. After uh, watching him, fine. Phil, for, for three days at minicamp, that kid can kick the ball to the moon. He has a tremendous leg. And the reports of him, you know, with his hang time were well justified. Totally. And and I would love to see it. We didn't see it, I don't think, at all in 
spring. Maybe we saw it a couple of times. I think there was one day where they focused on the kickoff game as opposed to the punt game. But um, we'll certainly see it in, in training camp. I'm assuming we're going to see him getting into some of these kickoffs too. And yep. with the rules being what they are so. now, it's just it's just more valuable to be able to kick. I know the you know the to kick it down to the one yard line and try to let your coverage guys do their thing and tackle them. Uh, before they get to the 25, you can pick up some ground that way. But, again, the Patriots were not successful in that regard last no, year. No, and, and, and I think that messed more up Dreskowski. just boot it out of the end zone. I think, it, I think um, that messed up Dreskowski's, um leg on, on field goal tries, too. I, I'm convinced of it, that, you know, changing changing the way a kicker goes into a game, his mindset, and what he has to do affects his entire kicking game, and, and I'm, I'm just convinced. That, but my last word is, after that Super Bowl last year, Ray Guy went out and got himself some Ryan Allen pajamas because it was, it was the most beautiful <laughs> thing I've ever seen. Well, it, it, the, the time always that. just... If you, can, if you could find Ryan Allen pajamas out there like that, like good for you, Ray I'll get Guy. some for Phil B. Perry, I will. You're you're a better internet sleuth than I am, and I thought I was pretty good. Murph can find anything on the internet. Yeah, yeah, I believe that. Don't I read, believe that. Don't read it. Don't read into that too much, people. I'm not looking. For <laughs> you know, I'm not. So, but he, Phil, the, you know, the hour always flies by when we have right? you on here. I mean, uh, we're we're right up against it once again, and it's like wow. You know, it seemed like we've been talking for five minutes, but uh, the time flies by. And uh, well, I always love obviously, to you guys. hey, it was great stuff as always. And, uh, you know, we, we look forward to doing this again. And I look forward to seeing you down there next week because once uh, next week kicks in, then we'll have football until, you know, the snow is deep here in New England. So we look totally. forward to That's that. But thanks again, man. We really appreciate it. Well, it's it's an exciting time. I'm I'm uh, sitting here at home, and we're cooking up some you know some some preview type of of pieces, video, uh, written content. We'll be talking about it all week, um, leading up to next week. And then next week we've got you know some real, you know we're talking about it this week early edition. I'll be co-hosting early edition tonight with uh, with Trenny and um and tomorrow as well i believe and so we'll be talking plenty of football then but then next week it really gets going and we do our training camp central shows and that'll be me and Curran, and uh we always have a blast together obviously and um i'll be giving him a lot of crap for for his takes and he'll be giving me a lot of crap for my takes and telling me that he's been covering you know the team since i was in diapers and and it's all well and good and i'll tell him he's he's having a hard time I'll tell him he's yep. having a hard time seeing what's out there because he has been covering the team since I was in diapers. <laughs> and so I'll just be relaying to him everything that is actually happening out there. Uh, no, but it'll be fun. It's, always, it's always a blast. Yeah. <laughs> what's yeah. that, Steve? Hey. I said, is he going to keep the beard? No, the beard's gone. I, I Although he is on vacation now, so he may come back with a vacation beard. So you never know with him. Uh, but it's always you, a good time, and, it, and like I said, you I love gotta shave to you it before because... you go on golf vacation. Otherwise, you, you get the you get the golf beard tan line, and you can't have yeah, very that. Weird. And he's bringing he's bringing home a, a, a t shirt for Butchie, so I appreciate that when when Tom <laughs> takes off and heads out oh, to play awesome. a little golf. And but no, just awesome. just give him a nudge if you know. Phil, Tom, if if you see an alignment you don't understand, <laughs> let, 
<laughs> let me know. And I'll well, it's not that he doesn't understand it. It's that if he if he doesn't bring his glasses, you know, like I, I you know, I, it ends up just being like me describing, a little blurry, doing my best okay. Bob impression yeah. and trying to do who, the play-by-play play there, which is very difficult. Who the hell's a deep safety? Who's back there? I can't see. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Well, it's always, you All know right, what's so. fun is what both of us always screw up is, uh, you know, it takes you a while sometimes to get used to the new numbers. So, yep. you know, we both, I think we both called Duran Harmon Malcolm Butler for about a full season <laughs> oh, before we realized he was 21. <laughs> so that's always good. So we'll, that, it's funny, it's funny you mention that, Phil, because during minicamp, I was sitting next to Bob, Bob Sosi, and I, you know, there was a play back there with the safeties, and I was like, who was that? And I was like, I missed, who was that? And Bob was, was like, and, and and he was looking through his binos and he's like, Steve, it's minicamp. Whatever answer you put down is the right one. <laughs> exactly. As long as, as long as uh, nobody was calling Cyrus Jones, uh, Ty Law, when he was out there Ty walking Law. around at number 24. Yep. I mean, that, that would have been bad, but otherwise I think we're doing okay. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Phil, tell everybody where, where they can uh, read all your fine work. It's it's fantastic. You keep us going all through the offseason, never mind the great coverage that you guys all do during the regular season, um, where they can follow you on social media so they can keep up with everything that you're doing. We're on uh, at Phil A. Perry on Twitter, at Phil A. Perry, Instagram, at Phil A. Perry. I really, really am going to – we tried this last year. I'm going to try to yeah, stay you tried consistent it. with it throughout the course of the year. <laughs> I love doing the Instagram stuff. No, I, really I know. I like doing the Instagram stuff. So the Instagram stories are going to be where you're going to see the the early portion of camp stuff that we're allowed to tape. I'm going to try to do some breakdowns before every day of camp with what we were looking for, and then I'm going to be Fantastic. on there again after the camp practices, giving you very quick synopsis of, of, of what we saw uh, that day at camp and, and whatever else uh, weird that happens at Gillette that day. Um, we'll be all over that. So Instagram, at Phil A. Perry, um, Twitter, at Phil A. Perry. And, yeah, we'll continue to have these great Patriots debates that we've had for uh, the better part of the last month or so uh, through this week. And then, really, next week we're going to be all camp all the time. So uh, that's where you're going to find all of our stuff. There is is at Phil A. Perry on uh, whatever social media platform you choose. That's it. That's it. Phil does it the smart way, the way I do. You know, you just get your name out there and you put your name on everything you possibly can, and then people can't screw up. I can't stand people. <laughs> Fourteen different accounts, dude. You're you're in the media. It's important that you know people can find you. Stop making it hard lover number 47 when they're coming to take to take a look at Red Sox content, okay? But, Phil, thank you so much for being with us, man. We hope to have you back real soon. I'm going to have Kern on next week now. <laughs> uh, I, I would love it. I, I love it every time uh, we get to talk, guys. It's great. And so now this, this conversation has only uh, built that that fire even stronger for, uh, for what we're about to see next week here. So thank you. Absolutely. Brilliant. Thanks right, a lot, buddy. So, we'll we'll right, talk guys. to you soon. Thank Enjoy you. the rest Take of your care. day, man. You too. Phil A. Perry, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, God, That's I it. love Phil. He's just brilliant. <laughs> that was awesome. so much fun. And it, we're in overtime. Uh, it always happens. We we sit there and we, we start talking to somebody and they're like, yeah, Murph, no problem. I'll give you, I'll give you, you know, 30 minutes, 30. And you look <laughs> and there's, there's 65 has gone by and we're at 70 minutes and they they all look at their watch and oh shit I was supposed to be at a meeting an hour ago but we're sitting here 
drinking at eight o'clock in the morning, nine o'clock in the morning with Phil and Steve, with Steve and Murph. Right. Well, and uh, as always, I mean, it's like uh, we start talking about football and we lose track of time. So, That's and it, as Murph said, we are in overtime right now. So we're going to cut this off and uh, put a bow on it for today. We want to thank everyone for listening. We want to thank all of our sponsors who carry the show. And uh, Murph and I will be back next week with another exciting episode of One Patriot Place. For Thomas Murphy, I'm Steve Balistrieri. Thanks for listening. We are out of here.